You're listening to Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, September 3, 2023. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. So you may have noticed that we haven't been on the air for about a month and a half. I took a break, a fairly long break, so I could concentrate on other things. I've been putting some time into Dirt Road Radio, which is a streaming radio station that should go on the air sometime in the near future. Now, even though we have a fairly significant team working on it, starting up a radio station is far more complicated than we anticipated. But we're moving this thing along and making good progress. If you'd like to help out, please contact us at dirtroadradio.com. Or just check out the website and see what's going on. Again, that's dirtroadradio.com. Now, personally, I've also been studying diligently to acquire certifications in Amazon AWS. I passed the AWS Certified Cloud Practitioner exam, and I'm working on subsequent certifications on my road to becoming an expert in machine learning and AI. Now, why am I doing all this? Well, I lost my software development job a few months back, and despite what they say, the hiring market is not so hot right now, at least not for a guy with my qualifications and my age. So I decided to take advantage of the free time to brush up on my skills and make myself more marketable. Now, I'd love to do podcasting full-time, but the reality is I still need to make a living. And speaking of podcasting, I've taken a lot of time to think about how to change things up here a bit at Democracy on the Move. Our normal routine was to open the show, make a few announcements, conduct an interview, and, well, that's pretty much it. The formula works well for me. It's simple, it's straightforward, it's easy to edit, but I'm afraid it's a bit dry and needs more variety. So I've been in touch with a few folks that would like to help produce other types of content, such as maybe panel discussions, special segments that focus on some aspect of democracy, personal stories, short interviews, relevant news feature other podcasters, etc. I'm still working out the details, but suffice it to say for now that things are a-changing. Now, during all this time, I haven't been out of the loop at all insofar as the news is concerned. My fear of losing our democracy is just as high as ever, and I'm especially alarmed by the trend toward authoritarianism and, yes, fascism in this country. And so far as fascism is concerned, I'm intrigued that, at the current moment anyways, Fascism isn't so much based on extreme racism, but it's based more on classism. Now, it's still a man's pursuit. Fascism is rooted in a strong patriarchy, that is, a supreme power structure based on a single leading man surrounded by male sycophants. So there's no room for women in this power structure. The whole brouhaha over abortion, for example, is largely driven by men who wish to fortify the sense of patriarchy by subjugating women. Okay. That's my opinion anyways, but it's a popular opinion. Here in Missouri, fascism is beginning to take on an extreme where men on our legislative floor are talking openly about the ability for a grown man to marry a 12-year-old girl. Hand to God, I'm not kidding you. Furthermore, the attacks on our LGBTQ plus community illustrates how the wagons of fascism are drawing into a circle. A circle that doesn't include gay, lesbian, transsexuals, and anyone that's not cisgender. In fact, fascism promotes itself through culture wars, where certain types of people are viewed as enemies. As the rights of LGBTQ plus are taken away, well, young people are seeing what's happening, and they try to conform to the new normal. Those young people who are not cisgender either find a way to stay in the closet, or they're tragically driven to take their own lives rather than live out a lie. Or somewhere in between. In any case, it's a tragedy. The overt insouciance from the likes of Ron DeSantis sends out a clear message. Fascism is ultimately an intolerant society, and if you don't fit in, go away and die. I say fascism is currently based on classism because there are a large number of non-white men involved in this autocratic movement. But with history as a guide, there will come a day where the trajectory of fascism will exclude non-white Christian men, subjugating them to the role of useful idiots. Even guys like Vivek Ramaswamy or Tim Scott will eventually find themselves on the outside looking in. 
it's as predictable as history itself. Now, I can only hope that we never get that far, but I fear that we will. Every day we see examples of our society edging closer and closer to autocracy and ultimately fascism. These extremist forms of government prey upon the weak. They make common enemies of groups of people, identifying them as threats to our way of life. This is how they gain power and influence. The easy targets have already been identified. As I mentioned, the LGBTQ plus community is under attack. Their rights are being taken away. You hear about it almost every day. Now, why attack LGBTQ plus? Well, for one thing, they're an easy target because of their numbers. They compose anywhere from 5 to 7% of the overall population. They are among the least capable of defending themselves just because of their numbers. Other targets include women. Now, while women make up 50% of the population, the concept of patriarchy has been sewn into the social fabric of the U.S. since the beginning. It's easy to sell our culture on the inferiority of women. Last year, after the Supreme Court struck down Roe, Missouri became the first state to enact the so-called trigger law, outlawing abortion in all but the most extreme cases. The ostensible purpose was to save the lives of, quote, unborn children, but the hidden agenda was subjugation and control of women. After all, how many trigger laws went into effect docking the wages of men who sired babies out of wedlock? That's an easy answer. Zero. Today we're going to focus on some of the laws around abortion rights and how it bleeds over into other laws, such as the initiative process. Now, what is the initiative process? The initiative process is like a direct line for citizens to make changes in their state's laws or even amend their state's constitution without relying solely on the legislature. It's like a way for the people to say, hey, we think this should be a law, or hey, we want to tweak the rules a bit. Now, there are 24 states in the union that currently have an initiative process in place. Here in Missouri, the initiative process is pretty interesting. If a group of folks has an idea for a new law or wants to change an existing law, or better yet, if they want to change the state constitution, they can put it on the ballot by circulating a petition and gathering signatures from registered voters. The number of signatures needed is like a show of public support. The more signatures you have, the stronger the message that people are on board. Now, once they get enough signatures, which is around 175,000 signatures, the proposed law or constitutional amendment goes up for a vote during the next statewide election. If a majority of voters give it a thumbs up, it becomes law, or it gets written into the Constitution. This is democracy in action, or shall I say democracy on the move, where regular folks get a real say in what goes down in the state. So here's the problem. When it comes to abortion rights, there is a movement afoot here in Missouri and elsewhere, but I'll focus on Missouri for right now. There is a movement to use the initiative process to write abortion rights into the Missouri Constitution. It is in direct opposition to the trigger law I mentioned earlier. It will, in effect, nullify the trigger law and make abortion legal within the state. But, there's a big but here, but there are a number of folks in the state legislature and other statewide offices that do not want this issue coming up for a vote. So they've thrown roadblocks into the process of circulating the petition. Now, how can they do this? Well, there are certain formal procedures that must be followed in this whole initiative process. One of these procedures involves the gathering of signatures. When you get someone's signature on a petition, they have to know what they're signing. So the petition has to be worded in a certain way, and it must identify any potential costs to the state. Well, maybe you can see where I'm heading here, because guess who gets the sign off on the petition wording? Well, the folks who are against legalizing abortion and thus promoting the ideology of autocracy. That's my take anyways. Because here's the thing. If those in charge, including the Secretary of State, who, by the way, appeared on this podcast last year talking about changes to our voting laws, if they decide to gum up the wheels of democracy, there's going to be a problem getting the initiative process to work. It's going to be a problem with democracy itself. Well, I laid out the problem, and now it's time to talk with an expert, someone who's in the middle of this fight. We're talking with Jeff Basinger, who is an attorney at a law firm in Columbia, Missouri. Now, Jeff is a Missouri native who was born on Missouri's birthday, which was August 10th, 1821. You and I, Jeff, you weren't actually born in 1821, were you? 
Yeah, that's correct, Dan. It was a bit later, 1979. Oh, okay. okay, okay, 1820. Because if you were born in 1821, and I know I'm older than you, so that would make me like a waiter at the Last Supper or something like that. Um, <laughs> anyways, you were born in, in uh, Missouri's birthday and raised in Blue Springs, Missouri, which is just east of Kansas City. Uh, Jeff comes from a typical Missouri family of teachers, librarians, wrestling champions, and competitive motorcycle racers. That's a typical family. Boy, oh boy. I, I think I come from a family of boring sloths, actually, uh, compared to you. I mean, you know, motorcycle racers and wrestling champions. I, I, I highlighted some of the more interesting people in the family. I'll, I'll admit that much. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty interesting, <laughs> wrestling champions and motorcycle racers. Uh, that's, uh, that's a good... So uh, Jeff has uh, filed an appeal challenging the Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft's interpretation of the Missouri Constitution regarding how early a Missouri voter can start the first step of the ballot initiative process. In other words, Jeff is trying to ensure that the initiative process, a bastion of direct democracy in our state, remains secure. So Jeff's views on certain political and legal issues can be found on his Substack, which can be found at drfantastic.substack.com. And that's doctor, not dr, but spell it out, drfantastic.substack.com. So Jeff, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Dan. So this is going to be an interesting discussion, and I want to start off here with a, sort of a personal note here. The, the initiative process um, and, and also abortion rights is kind of personal for me because, you know, I, I live in the great state of Missouri, having moved here from the great state of California a few years back, and um, so I'm here for it. But from what I understand, it's, it's maybe even more personal for you because, as I understand, you have a young daughter who I imagine will be growing up in Missouri, so what kind of state do you think um, she's going to inherit? Well, hopefully a good one. Um, you know, I've got, had some family members and friends uh, move off from Missouri, like a, a lot of people have, um, or people that left a long time ago. And, you know, you talk with them and they say, what's going on in Missouri? Um, what happened to it? Because it didn't used to be this extreme. It didn't used to be like this. So um, you know, I want a Missouri that has good schools and um, has libraries that are going to get funded, not shut down and has basic rights. And that does include reproductive rights. And um, uh, basically to go back to more of a Missouri um, that I remember, you know, 12, 15 years ago and, and before that growing up, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I've, I'm part of that culture shock myself because I, I actually grew up in Missouri, up in North County, St. Louis, and um, moved to, after graduating from college, graduated from Mizzou, hung around here for a few years, and I moved out to California, moved to Los Angeles. Coincidentally, the LA Rams moved to St. Louis after I moved to Los Angeles. And then, um, you know, I was out there for quite a few years, and I came back to St. Louis, St. Louis area, and... Consequently, the L.A. Rams, well, the Rams moved back to Los Angeles. So um, I don't tell anybody this, but I think I'm somewhat responsible for that. Um, but, you know, when I left Missouri, I, I, I can share that that sort of culture shock thing, because, you know, when I left Missouri, it was uh, I would see all these stickers, these bumper stickers saying right to work is a ripoff. And I come back to Missouri and these bumper stickers are still out there because this issue keeps coming up again and again and again. And I am personally surprised at just how conservative uh, the state, and I, I wouldn't say conservative, that's kind of the wrong word because it's okay to be conservative in my mind, but the um, extremist uh, conservative is really what I'm worried about here. It's, it's um, you know, the trigger law, right right after Roe was repealed by, by the Supreme Court in Missouri, uh, some people in Missouri take pride in saying, we were the first ones to uh, enhance the, or to uh, enable it or, or to whatever the trigger law make abortion illegal we were the first state to do that and like really that's something to be proud about so um we've really come a long ways i think and in, in, in the wrong direction in my opinion right it, it's a uh, it's amazing how fast the shift came um and it's issues that are frustrating because if you ask people on it like you use the ballot initiative then we're still uh, close to the same state we were and on big issues we're pretty moderate um but we have constantly been electing um people in the legislature like, that want to divide us um they uh rely on anger instead of solutions um you know 
they spent January through April this past session just talking about transgender stuff and um, because they know it divides people, it gets people riled up and angry and it misrepresents, um, you know, Democrats and misrepresents people living in cities, um, even moderate sized cities and makes people um, living in rural areas. They're trying to get them to think that we're trying to change their way of life or um, uh, tell everybody that they're going to um, become a transgender person themselves or that's what they need to teach their kids, that there's no boys or girls. They're trying to anger people instead of doing something productive. So that's what they did January through April. And in the meantime, you know, they can't get basic things like a child care tax credit passed. Or when, you know, a few years ago when every other state was getting money, federal money to expand Medicaid, you know, most all of it paid for by the federal government, we, we were saying no. So just common sense stuff like that gets passed by and you have these these uh, issues where people are getting riled up and angry instead. So that's yeah. who's representing us right now. You know, and, and I I'm, I'm, don't want to digress too much, but one of the reasons why that happens in Missouri is we've had this, this um, what I would call a supermajority or what everybody calls a supermajority. I call a supermajority that has been in charge in Missouri for like the last 20 plus years. And, you know, if you, you don't have to dig too deep to figure out how that happens. And when you when you just look at the last election, for example, um, in the Missouri House of Representatives, uh, 40% of the seats ran unopposed in, in the House and like 30% of the seats ran, ran unopposed in the Senate. And so, you know, it's I think it's just a lack of people really getting involved. And, and I don't think there really is that urban uh, rural divide, as a lot of people say, because I've spent the last um, year plus now in this thing called Dirt Road Radio, where I'm getting familiar with people in the rural areas. I'm finding out, man, they're, they're just as progressive as anybody else in the cities or whatever. But there is this stigma that they uh, buy into or that's being sold to them that, um, you know, they have they have things to fear. They have to fear the LGBTQ community or they have to fear, um, you know, kids getting um, brainwashed in school. Um, and it just it's um, I, I see what you're saying. You know, the, the, the legislature spends a lot of its time stoking up fear and really not solving the real problems out there. Right. Right. It, it's like I, I, I listen to the media and it seems like um uh, every argument on the other side is being focused on a fictional person, you know? And I mean, I saw Josh Hawley give speeches before last November in support of Eric Schmidt. Um, it's just based on this anger. It's the it literally explicitly he and so many others go out and say, they are coming after your churches. They're coming after your school. They're saying America is bad. They're saying you're bad. Um, they're going to turn all your kids transgender. They're going to, you know, it's, they're just talking about fictional people. Um, there's no dialogue in, between the parties on a campaign. It's just two different columns speaking, but not to each other. And so they get to describe the, the other side, which is the rest of Missouri, you know, uh, however they want to. And it's just frustrating that there's not a good, uh, method of communication to stop that because I, I listen to what they're describing and uh, you know it's just these people don't exist almost and if they do they're the most extreme people out there and we don't like them either you know yeah yeah well it's it's a phenomenon of communications out there and I we could talk endlessly about that because um, I believe that's part of the problem in the rural areas is just a lack of communication you have local newspapers that are folding. Um, you have the dominance of AM radio uh, or AM radio is being dominated by these uh, by these talking points. And uh, there really isn't a whole lot of other information making its way out there into the rural areas. Hopefully, you know, broadband Internet being rolled out to the Internet area, to the uh, to the rural areas will will um, will help that problem. But let's get back to the initiative process here. Um, in the introduction, I gave a kind of a quick description of the of the initiative process and I had mentioned that some folks are attempting to gum up this process when it comes to writing abortion rights into the Missouri Constitution using the initiative process, uh, but it didn't hit on any of the details. So can you kind of walk us through 
what's going on here with the initiative process and um, what's going on in the state capitol that's impeding this process? Right. So um, currently, the big ballot initiative issue, of course, is to undo the trigger laws, which about 77% of people opposed as soon as they were enacted. So you have to use direct democracy to try to fix that um, because that's what the people want. They just want reasonable, normal rights again. So you got to get about 172,000 signatures. They To do that, though, you have to jump through a bunch of statutory hoops. And so people that have been following the um, uh, abortion amendments uh, right now, they have made it through the 56-day statutory process to get a ballot title for their proposal. And they needed that as part of the statutes to start collecting signatures. So there's that waiting period. That period was over doubled because of our attorney general who made an argument saying he gets to decide the fiscal part of it and nobody had ever made that type of argument before they had to go through the court system to undo that they lost months of time that is constitutionally protected signature time so that's a violation of our voting rights right there um and now they've got the ballot title and so september 11th in uh, cole county and jeff city um, they're arguing about um, six proposals and uh, as far as pro-choice um, proposals might go. They don't know which one they're going to choose, but they've got to um, have a ballot summary. And the Secretary of State, um, uh, Jay Ashcroft, writes the initial one, and then um, it can be challenged. And this one is very slanted, very biased. So that's the court cases they're dealing with on uh, September 11th, and that's going to get appealed. And, you know, so they're going to lose months more just making sure they get a fair ballot title before they start collecting these signatures to get it um, on the ballot for November 2024. Yeah. And what's the deadline for getting those signatures? Where, where, when abouts is it? I mean, they have to, I imagine it's like probably March or April timeframe of next year. Uh, it's May. It's six months before the November election. So May 7th or thereabouts, something like that. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot of signatures. I mean, 172,000 signatures and, and, you know, you would like to start right now gathering those signatures. It's not an, it's not a trivial feat. Um, you know, so I guess that the approach of the secretary of state and the attorney general is to delay this thing because they obviously want this to not be an initiative. Now, now there is a second step to this whole thing. <clears throat> and I want to go through this really quickly because it's, um, I, I, I try to think ahead, right? I'm trying to think, okay, you know, if, if I were to anticipate what the next step is going to be, I would look to Ohio because, you know, there are states, there, there are forces within our own state government here in Missouri that want to gum up the works for the initiative process, uh, you know, to, to allow the abortion ban to continue to stand. Um, and assuming you prevail in your efforts to get the initiative process to continue and get the signatures and start getting the signatures by the May 7th deadline, um, there's another thing I think you're going to run into, and that's this thing that took place in Ohio, which is called Proposal 1, which the voters resoundingly rejected. It was a, uh, it was a uh, proposal to drastically raise the threshold that any initiative must surpass in order to be written into the Constitution. And um, I think specifically there were some folks that wanted to raise the threshold from its current level of 50%. In other words, 50% of the people have to vote for this in order for it to become part of, of the Constitution. They wanted to raise that to 60%. So um, do you anticipate something like that happening in Missouri? Yes, they uh, almost did that last legislative session. So they had a, a similar proposal to try to lift it up to 60%, um, but there was so much dysfunction in the legislature that they, gosh darn, they just didn't quite get it passed. So um, worked out to our advantage, um, their, their dysfunction this time, but it's something they've been looking at a couple of years. And um, uh, with the pro-choice amendment on the horizon, they're looking at it more and more, and I'm sure it's going to be an issue this session also. Yeah. Could they conceivably still do it in this next upcoming session? Because it starts, uh, I think it's like the January, I don't know, 5th or something like that. And that session goes all the way through till May. Could they potentially still have time to pass some sort of statute, or not pass, pass the statute, but to... Um, 
get a ballot initiative on, say, the August ballot for next year to try and raise that threshold to 60 percent? Right, right. And that, that they could. And so that is the exact procedure that's happening this year in Ohio. And that's why you and um, a lot of people are paying attention to Ohio, because they're kind of moving a year ahead of states like Missouri. Um, so theirs would have been um, there. They just voted on theirs. Um, so our legislature could pass such an amendment in, by the end of May. And the governor can call a special election. And so they could try to have that special election to change the rules um, as far as what you need to amend the Constitution, raise the vote level to something like 60. And then that would be before November when um, the uh, abortion amendment might hit the ballot. So they could try to beat it out. And a lot of people expect that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you tried to anticipate that at all? Or are you just sort of focused on on your current uh, roadblock with the initiative process? Well, you know, I'm not in the legislature, so there's only so much I can do. I did point out some flaws in um, the last proposal from the last session. I, you know, it it's on my blog. I, I think that um, there was some language in there they were overlooking that just that didn't make sense about publishing the amendments um, kind of interested me because it involves the exact same terms in the constitution that um, I'm dealing with. And so um, uh, the timing of when these proposals um, would be required to be published was part of it. And um, I commented on that and called out to some people, but you know, I, I, I'm not directly involved in it, so I anticipate it, but I'm, I am hoping they fail um, like mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, yeah. Now, allow me to play devil's advocate here because, you know, one of the criticisms, one of the criticisms that, that uh, in this case, the Republicans in Ohio, one of the criticisms they used um, about the initiative process, you know, specifically about the threshold going from, you know, 50% to 60%, the criticism was this. It says it should be difficult to change the Constitution. And, and let's, as a model, let's look at the U.S. Constitution. Uh, it is extraordinarily difficult to pass an amendment. And that is by design. I mean, for example, I think the 27th Amendment was the most recent one passed back in 1990-something, which was like 200 years to, to get this thing to pass at language for that long. Um but that's by design because it's sort of a check and balance. It keeps society from flip-flopping back and forth. I mean, it's still flip-flopped a little bit with prohibition and then prohibition was gone again. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 have a, I think it's a compelling argument anyways to say that maybe it should be 60%. What do you think about that? Well, I, you know, I disagree. I think that there's something to be said about stability like you were referencing. Um, and you don't want issues flipping flop back and forth. I think that generally a constitution, most people think of it as a set of more firm guiding principles. And that's true, especially when you think of rights, which is just another reason why it was sneaky for um, the trigger laws to get passed by statute. So the people didn't have a chance to vote on it um, and try to reject it. So, uh, but I think that, um, that makes sense if you have a functioning democracy. And right now we're in an unusual time. I don't think our legislature is um, very responsive. And I don't, I think that, um, you know, your representatives should be representing you. And so I don't know that they're getting the policies passed that people want. And then two, I think that some of, um, I think that some of what's going on is, um, you know, they try to gerrymander districts. I mean, I think that um, that on a state and a federal level, that's a big concern, too. So if you give people a fair chance to be represented, to have their views represented by their representatives, then maybe that is, uh, indicates mm, maybe we could increase the level. But here we have gerrymandering. Um, we have a slew of proposals that are favored by Missourians, and they're not being followed. You know, not only did we have to use, like, the ballot initiative to pass Medicaid expansion and get that money that was mostly just from the federal government, you know, the, the legislature comes along and they 
try to reject it and they try to say, well, you didn't pass it correctly. You didn't fund it. So they, they really, really struggle against the people sometimes. Um, I think another thing to consider is, is it really a concern right now about people flipping back and forth between laws? You know, if, if the 50% thresholds too low, maybe you would go back and forth a bunch, but it's kind of interesting. I can't think, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you can think of examples, but I don't know that, that we've had that kind of instability. You know, we pass things like Medicaid expansion, um, marijuana, we reject the right to work, we pass voter ID law, right to farm. There's only really one example where I can think there's been back and forth, and I think it's basically because the legislature designed a ballot title to <laughs> deceive the people. I think uh, what I think of it as, um, is they sold gerrymandering to the people for five dollars is what they basically did by a misleading ballot title so that the gerrymandering one is the only one i can think of and that's goes against the legislature that doesn't go against the people doing the ballot initiative so i don't know that it is a problem going back and forth a whole lot honestly yeah yeah i i tend to agree with you in fact you know i when I was playing devil's advocate here, I actually wrote some notes to myself on the side right here. And it was, it was interesting. And it hits the, some of the same topics you did. Um, you know, I, I, for the record, you know, I support the simple majority argument, uh, but it's not necessarily because I'm in love with simple majorities, but it is in my observation here, it's the system has been so heavily gerrymandered that there already is kind of a check on this whole thing to begin with, because, you know, we know, the uh, that we're not gonna we're not gonna flip flop because you got the legislature so far on one end and the rest of the people on one on the other end. Um, if the people pass something by by initiative, by ballot initiative, uh, it's going to be really hard to get them to unpass it to to flip flop on that because there is such a large distance between the legislature and the people here, and that, that's that to me is his. Just a tremendous phenomenon. I mean, you, I'll pick on this guy, Neil Nick Schroer, who's a state representative out of the St. Charles area, and I go at this guy all the time because you 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 ask for certain things from this from this gentleman. You ask for you know whatever it is, whatever it's Medicaid support or whatever, and he gets a he gets very irate with you almost immediately. And uh, there's another guy named Paul Weiland, who was a state state senator here. Um, he he termed out, but I wrote him a letter asking him to for some help on on another issue. And you wouldn't believe the vitriol he came back to me with. And I'm like, what are these people thinking? How can they think they can get away with this? I mean, okay, I understand the guy doesn't agree with me. I get that, you know. But to be such to be so vitriolic about it. Um, I mean, it's just, it, it amazes me. And so I guess I'm still kind of in a state where I can't figure out how the legislature could get so far away from the will of the people. And, and that's so, so to bring it back to my devil's advocate thing here, that's why I believe a 50% uh, should be more than, more than sufficient to pass a, a ballot initiative, even a constitutional amendment, because it has gotten so cantankerous between the two sides now that um, we have a legislature that, for the most part, doesn't really speak for the people. I don't know who they're speaking for, but they're not speaking for the people. My opinion. Well, yeah. Right, right. Well, they're speaking for themselves, you know. I, I, gerrymandering, I, I think that um, they will try to tell people on the side and most Missourians wouldn't buy it anyway. I think if you had a straight up and down gerrymandering vote, Missourians say, we're going to ban gerrymandering. I believe it. But you know, what they tell people is, oh, we're on your side. You know, they tell their base that, um, the MAGA Republicans, we're going to get them. We're going to decrease their voting rights and we're going to get more stuff done for you. I mean, it's not really the case at all, you know? And so they think they're in on it, but they're really... I mean, mathematically, they're decreasing the value of the votes of the total people in Missouri when they're gerrymandering, you know. Um, they're not reflecting their size. You know, if they drop school funding statewide and we're, you know, 49th, I believe, in state funding, it's, it's for everybody. I went and spoke with my school board because I, you know, like you mentioned, Andrew Bailey takes power and it's January and then 
I see everywhere all this transgender stuff, you know, it just like the media lights up with it. it's like, oh boy, they've got this national plan here and they're coming after the schools. They're, they're trying to make everybody think that the schools are just full of liberals and they're indoctrinating people. So I'll go speak at the school board. But, you know, that's in Columbia, big evil Columbia, like I guess Kansas City, St. Louis, um, Columbia, you know, big cities, right? Different people out to get you. Um, not true at all. And then if you drop school funding to 49th for me, you drop it for you too. They're not out to help you. And gerrymandering and, and Nick Schurer, you mentioned, um, you know, it's on the state level too, but we've had some really stark examples on the federal level for, for gerrymandering. Um, I live in Columbia, Missouri. And so I am in, I believe it's a fifth. I have Luke tomorrow. Okay. And so I go to work across Broadway, the main drag in Columbia, Missouri, I go two blocks to get a cup of coffee. I'm in a different U.S. House of Representatives uh, district, and it's the same concern on the state level, um, two blocks away. So their, their whole thing about um, redistricting and Schroer and everybody else saying, we want to protect our communities, we want to keep communities together. Well, you know, look at the map. My district looks like an alligator because it goes all the way out to Shore. I'm in the middle of the state. It goes all the way out to Shore in St. Charles. And it divides his district up too. It divides his community up too to save one extra um, district right next to St. Louis um, to try to make sure that that one's um, not competitive also. So, you know, it, it affects them as well, but um, they try to convince people People from Columbia, Missouri are bad guys. They're out to get you. They're out to get your kids. And and a few too many people believe it. Um, but they still have to use tricks like they did to get severe gerrymandering passed. They still have to use tricks like the um, tricky ballot title. So um, they, they're just tricking a few too many people right now. And it's, I mean, the, the results are extreme, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what what what's what needs to be mentioned also is that Columbia is a college town, right? You have three universities there. That, the big one is University of Missouri Columbia, which has I don't know how many students now, probably somewhere north of thirty thousand. Um, it's um, it makes sense to start splitting some of these districts up be, uh, if you're if you're going to be an evil person, right? Because um, students generally vote very uh, progressive. And so there's, you know, that that just makes sense. Anyways, I do, I do want to move on here because there's one more topic. I know we're running up against some time right here, but I wanted to cover one more topic, and that was the Sunshine Law. Um, it's kind of a side topic, but it's somewhat related to uh, the the, the uh, overall our overarching theme that we're talking about here, which is misrepresentation of people. Um, now, as a background, the Sunshine Law in Missouri is like, a spotlight on government activities. It's about making sure that the actions and decisions of public officials aren't kept in the shadows. And the law grants citizens the right to access government records and attend meetings and, you know, to find out how decisions are being made and when they're being made. And um, I have personal experience with the Sunshine Law. I know you do too. Uh, longtime listeners of this podcast may recall when I butted heads with the then Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who is now a U.S. Senator, uh, I was concerned that Eric Schmidt was using state funds to conduct campaign business. And so I filled out a sunshine request and it came back and said, well, we don't have the records to cover what you're requesting. And all I was requesting was just his travel records. I was also requesting his, um, his paid time off records so that when he's out there campaigning, I don't want him campaigning on our dime, you know, when he's, when he's working for the state of Missouri. So it was basically, you know, we have no records pertaining to your request. And I even called him up on the phone and had one of the guys on the podcast and um, just verbally got stonewalled. So um, let's talk about the Sunshine Request a little bit. You've you've had some dealings with the Sunshine Request as well, haven't you? Um, yeah, I did. About the same time I got my ballot initiative case, then I made a Sunshine Request. And so I've been following that and then what's been happening with the act uh, in general ever since then. So. When I submitted my ballot initiative proposal um, for abortion rights, it was like the day before Kansas, who was the first one to vote on this type of thing nationwide, voted on theirs. And so I was curious about whether the people involved, Ashcroft and Eric Schmidt, 
um, were discussing rejecting my proposed my sample petition saying they couldn't process it yet doing it for political reasons and so it was such a small window such a small few days i thought this is a pretty narrow request they should be able to respond to it so i asked for communications about um my ballot initiative petition basically um or anything that would match the description and so when i did that um i Eric Schmidt was the one that ended up being the problem, and that's where the problems are still with Andrew Bailey's attorney general's office. So um, right before the November election, um, after about a month delay, Eric Schmidt said, okay, no records. We don't have any records that are responsive to that. And then a couple of days before the end of the calendar year, right before he leaves office, I get a different one that says, um, we are not going to be able to process your request until March. So it's totally conflicting response. So like, that's very odd. And so I sent my second request, you know, cause what do you do? Um, if they say, well, we don't have any records You're it's, it's hard to believe that in a lot of situations. What do you do? You, um, basically you try to track craft something that says, well, what do you do to search for it? So I try to do that. That one is still pending and being delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, and, and so I, um, in getting delayed, just like so many people are right now. And I actually just submitted one and because things have gotten so bad, I submitted a third one just asking how many of these sunshine requests in general for everyone, for all Missouri, have you been processing for this year and for every year since 2018? Because that's the big problem. They have this huge backlog right now and it's gotten so bad under Andrew Bailey that um, the media and uh, everybody uh, who uses this to try to figure out how to help Missouri and get answers to um, what the government's doing on our behalf, um, they haven't seen anything quite like it. So there's this huge backlog right now. And that is, that's the problem that people are concerned about. Yeah. Well, yeah, when you start losing transparency, that's, that's a bad sign. Um, you know, I, I, it does it does kind of mystify me as to how they plan on filling all these requests to begin with because that can be kind of expensive if everybody's sending in their own sunshine requests you could have you know thousands of these things you'd have to hire you know a whole staff of people to to not only read all the sunshine requests but also to go out there and do all the photocopying or whatever it is they need to do to fulfill the requests um that's a logistical nightmare but i don't even see that it being used as an excuse they're just basically saying we don't have records per pertinent to your request. Right. And that's a concern. And so, you know, I think that the people are concerned the game has been to just delay, delay, delay. And then eventually um, someone leaves office or you have a different records custodian, you know. So you have very few people involved. I, I believe Andrew Bailey said now they're hiring another attorney and may hire a, a, another one. But I think they were just using one attorney and then have the records custodian. And that was their sunshine department. And they had only processed maybe as few as nine sunshine requests the entire year up until about the last few weeks when people really started complaining more. So, you know, they've got funds to join every national lawsuit, you know, sue Joe Biden and do the Twitter war stuff and join every um, abortion, abortion challenge filed in any state across the nation, you know, all this different stuff, write letters to target complaining about merchandise, like, <laughs> like your grandparents would, you know, um, um they that time for thing. all that. Yeah. They have time for all that. And they have one attorney working with one records custodian. And if it's, you know, the information's only trickled out and there's been a lot of people in the media who've been doing, um, and, and activists, um, sunshine lawyers, who've been doing a good job trying to figure out what's going on. And some information has been trickling out. And even if you have just two people working on it, nine, if it's only nine requests after eight months, that is just um, really concerning because it does seem like you're intentionally just not fulfilling the request. And when they come back and tell you, oh, we don't have these records, um, who would believe somebody, you know, when they're seemingly intentionally just not filling any requests. I guess they've done 32 requests in the past week. So they have the ability to do more than one a month. Um, and they certainly could assign more than one attorney to it. But people are realizing that their plan was 
basically to just drag their feet, um, intentionally not follow the law, it seems like. That's everyone's concern. And what are they, you know, they, the backlog, this lagoon of over 200 left over from Eric Schmidt. Um, what's in there? You know, what, why are they so afraid to get to all those records? It could be anything. And there's some smart media people and lawyers out there that know um, some things that goes on with government and what a problem might be or who has a connection to who and, and basically what questions to ask. And, uh, you know, you just wonder what's among those 200 or so records. Um, yeah. It's a concerning. And what concerns me, too, is that there really doesn't seem to be much recourse for especially for a guy like me. You know, I'm not even a journalist. I, I try to pretend I am, but uh, but I'm not. And, um, you know, so I don't I don't swing. I don't swing a bat at all with these people. So, you know, I, I got to take what I can get. So I, you know, I get these letters of rejection, basically. And there's no recourse for me. What I'm going to do, go to a judge in Cole County or something like that and, and complain or something or, or I don't know. Um, I know Elad Gross, who's also running for attorney general this next time around. Um, he's been pretty involved in that. And I've corresponded with him on, on a few occasions. But um, boy, oh boy. I mean, there's just nothing you can do. Right. They have to fix that. I mean, and there's a few problems there. The The law says that you're supposed to respond um, within three days. And you can say how long you think it'll take if you have good cause, if you have reasonable cause for why it's going to take longer than three days. You know, a lot of these things, it should be like mine, where I'm asking how many have you processed? I mean, that should be the first spreadsheet the records custodian opened up. You know, it's like the most basic information. It should literally take like two minutes. Um, so, I mean, but they can just delay it because once the three days passes, they just have to pretend they have reasonable cause. So, and then, yes, your next recourse is basically go to the courts on it. So they need to do something about this. I mean, the media and it would be nice if the governor, who's not on our side when it comes to all these sunshine requests, you know, Andrew Bailey, and he were the ones drafting proposals to try to make things more restrictive as far as the sunshine law goes and he's just hand-picked attorney general he's not on our side on sunshine requests but they need to come up with he he should be keeping tabs on attorney general uh, bailey first of all saying let's make sure we're going to clear out this lagoon of backlog too i mean you need a proposal to fix this um you know they need proposals for um records retention um you know back when Greitens was in office they uh, had those disappearing text apps so um and they just had that court case come down a year ago only where it said well that's not a record kept because it disappeared right <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't count that's a huge loophole they need to fix um they need to figure out what you do if they don't meet this three-day deadline without um making everybody go to court and sue everybody all the time um records retention they need um they need a records retention policy. They need a plan for when somebody's doing like what Andrew Bailey is doing and falling too far behind. Um, they probably need, I've heard some people say that um, they need to outsource enforcement or oversight to somebody entirely outside the attorney's general's office, which, you know, at, at this point you can't trust them. So you should um, like the Missouri ethics commission um, have a, somebody else handle it. Take it, and you know, and, and that could be good for everybody. You know, take it off the attorney general's plate. The attorney general does a lot of things, and they can do a lot of productive things. Um, and maybe just have somebody else in charge of it that doesn't have this interest like that in enforcing the act. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's, and you mentioned some names here. Andrew Bailey, just for everybody's um, um, education, here. Andrew Bailey is the attorney general for Missouri, who was appointed to that position that wasn't he was not voted and he was appointed to that position by the governor Mike Parson and he had to be appointed to that position after Eric Schmidt who had that attorney general position left because he ran for senator and won senator and you can't run two offices at the same time so um, so that's that's where Andrew Bailey comes from and he's he's uh, rapidly became one of my least favorite people because um, not only is he just uh, as unresponsive as Eric Schmidt, but he's not elected either, which makes it sting even more. And, and, I, and I get it, you know, when somebody vacates their position, you have to appoint somebody. But I would think that that person who was appointed would be a little bit more humble about it and, you know, a little bit more faithful to the people 
uh, you know, be, given the fact that they haven't been elected to that position. Uh, we do have to wrap this up. I know you got to get back to work here, but um, I would I could just talk with you for for another hour or two and still feel like there'd be more we have to that we could discuss. But uh, we do have to wrap this up. Just one final question here. Is there anything, any place people can go to to learn more about what you're doing uh, to keep up with the latest news? Well, um, my, my sub stack you mentioned um, is, is the number one source for me. Um, and then uh, hopefully uh, I can get my case, my bill initiative case up to the Missouri Supreme Court. And so in the next month or two, um, you can see if I'm successful on that. Um, but otherwise, I'll just I'll just be around, just like the rest of Missouri. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and that Substack is drfantastic.substack.com. I highly recommend everybody take a look at that because uh, I, I kind of like the fact that you're you know you're kind of putting progress reports in there, and people can see what's going on, and um, and it's uh, it's good to know that uh, there's some people out there who are dedicated to doing good for the people and actually letting people know about it. So. Again, that's drfantastic.substack.com, and that's all spelled out, too, D-O-C-T-O-R, Dr. Fantastic. We've been talking with Jeff Basinger, attorney working out of Columbia, Missouri, taking on the good fight to help ensure that the initiative process in Missouri continues to move forward. So, Jeff, uh, thanks for stopping by today. Thank you for having me, Dan. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. We feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in again. <laughs>